Hey everyone, welcome to the Unchangeable Truth Podcast. Today we're going to be looking at Romans 10 verses 8 through 13 with Pastor Stephen. Thanks for listening. If you have a Bible today, please open up to Romans 10. Romans 10, we're about 40 weeks in the book of Romans. And today we're going to walk back two verses last week. You're like, that's the reason why it's taking so long. But no, we're going to go verse 8 through 13. And really, you know, uh, 10, 11, 12, 13, it makes no sense unless we read 8 and 9. So we'll reread what we studied last week. Many of you have come up to me and you've said, you know what, man, the, uh, this study through the book of Romans has been really challenging, which, which that's good. That's not a bad thing. Uh, others of you have said, you know, it's really, uh, it's really uh, strengthened my faith. That's what we're shooting for. We never study the Bible merely for information's sake. We don't study the Bible to win an argument. We study the Bible so that in turn we might be obedient to what God's Word said so that we might be made in the very image of Jesus Christ. And sometimes folks, you know, they, they don't even, they don't really know, they don't really know how to compliment a sermon series or something like that. They don't know what to say. And uh, I, had a, I had a lady several years ago, not at this church, at a previous church, who, uh, and she was, she was meaning well. She was meaning well. And she came up and she said, Brother Stephen, I want you to know your sermons have meant so much to my husband ever since he lost his mind. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what she said. And I had another sweet lady who said this one time. She said, Pastor, uh, I want you to know that every sermon you preach is better than the next one. It'll take some of you a while to get that one. But today, today you guys could preach this. Today we are going to see what I believe are the simplest directions in the Bible to tell someone how they can know that they're going to go to heaven when they die. And that's what I want to ask you. If I could, I would sit down with every single one of you, one-on-one, -on -one, look you in the eye and say, do you absolutely know that you'll go to heaven when you die? Today, this is going to answer this. Look there with me. We're in Romans 10, beginning in verse 8. Hey, how you doing? Good. Romans 10, verse 8. But what does it say? But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put, on, put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved." This morning, I want us to look at three forms of faith 
The first two are defective. The first two will not forgive one single sin. The first two will not save you. But then we're going to look at the third one, and it is true saving faith. This is the one that will help you know that when you die, you'll go to heaven. The first form of faith is false faith. False faith. Looks like faith, sounds like faith, even smells like faith. But it's false. It's counterfeit. Here's what it means. It means that someone may, with their mouth, say, yes, I am a Christian. Yet their actions and their life is no different than ones who do not say they're Christian. It's amazing when you look at survey after survey today, the number of folks that would say, yes, indeed, I am a Christian. As if it's a, uh, you know, it's hereditary. You know, hey, I'm a part of a Christian family. My parents are Christian. My grandparents are Christian. This is a false faith. A false faith that, you know, they, 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 they confess with their mouth, but they don't really believe with their heart. They don't have saving faith. It means there's been no change on the inside. You do realize that you can say something with your mouth and it doesn't necessarily make it so. For instance, I'm a flower. I'm a flower. I'm a, I'm a beautiful blooming flower. And you're like, you're a blooming idiot. It's what you are. You're, you're not a flower, but I'm saying that I'm a flower. Why am I not a flower? Because I do not have on the inside what is necessary for me to be a flower, right? I don't have that inner nature of a flower. And so in the very same way, a person can say with their mouth, I am a Christian and not truly be saved. There are a lot of folks who claim to be Christians and they're clueless about what true faith is really. And they have counterfeit, they have this false faith. And the problem revolves around, many folks sit there and say, I want Jesus to be my Savior. I mean, uh, there might be a hell, there might be a place of damnation, there might be a place where people pay for their sins, and so I don't really want to really go there, so here's what I will do. I will receive Him as my Savior, I will get a life insurance policy or a fire insurance policy, and you know, and I'll show back up four or five times a year to renew my policy but I don't want him to be Lord Lord means boss Lord means ruler of all so I'm going to pray a little prayer I'm going to walk a little aisle I'm going to get dunked in the baptistry and I'll have this fire insurance, right? And so, and so that's what a lot of folks have done. They've tried to receive Jesus as Savior, but they haven't made him Lord of their life. Please hear me. You cannot receive Jesus as Savior and then say, no, I don't want you to be my Lord. I mean, 
Do you have a different kind of vocabulary when you're at church than you do when you're everywhere else? Do you act a certain way when you're at church that you don't act when you're everywhere else? That's false faith. That's false faith. He's Lord. I'll explain it this way. 24 years ago, I stood at the front of Southside Baptist Church in Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Dr. J.R. DeBusk asked me this question, Stephen, do you take this woman to be your wedded wife? Now, let's just say that I were to say, well, I'll take her to be my housekeeper. I'll take her to be my cook. I'll take her to be my uh, child care worker. I'll take her to be my clothes washer. I can promise you this. She would have said, no, thank you. Hit the road, Jack. You can't take me like that. Now, when you take someone to be your spouse, you're not taking them as something. You are taking them as they are. We've done a poor job with the terminology in the church. And we want to sit there and we want to say, will you take Jesus as your Savior? Friend, listen to me. True faith is not receiving Jesus as anything. You're receiving Jesus for who he is, and that is Lord. That's it. He is Lord. In the New Testament, we only see Jesus referred to as Savior ten times. Over 700 times he's referred to as Lord. Lord. And some people think you can take him as Savior and reject him as Lord. That is someone who is building their life on false counterfeit faith. And there are a lot of false counterfeit Christians that are going around. You may know some of them. You may be seated next to one of them. You may even be one of them. Some of the most sobering words that we ever read in the Bible were spoken by our Lord Jesus. Listen to what he said. This is in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who confesses to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. So, so you may be confessing with your mouth, but has your heart ever been changed? Is there anything different about you than the person who says there is no God? Your life has been changed. I'm not asking you, have you gone through the ritualistic things, right? I'm not asking you, have you walked the aisle? Have you been baptized? Are you a church member? Do you show up when you don't have something else going on more important in your life? I'm not even asking those questions. I'm asking you, is Jesus Lord of your life? If not, then it's false. Counterfeit faith. And that's terrible to build your life around. But then there's the second kind of faith. It's formative faith. Formative faith. Here's what I mean by that. It's kind of a reluctant kind of faith. Kind of a cautious kind of faith. I mean, it's moving in the right direction, but it's not yet arrived. 
And so, so the heart of this person is beginning to believe, right? They're, they're again moving in the right direction. They're really considering the claims of Christ. They've heard sermons. They've read books. They've studied the Bible. They're coming to the point where they're just about ready to accept it. The problem is they're believing with their head and not believing with their heart. And maybe you've heard this said before. Some people will go to hell or they will miss heaven by 18 inches. And that is the distance between their head and between their heart. So it's possible for a person to intellectually acknowledge in their head that Jesus was born of a virgin, intellectually acknowledge that he did perform miracles, that he did die on the cross for our sins, to intellectually affirm that Jesus rose from the grave, he ascended to heaven, and to even mentally believe that one day he's coming back again. It's possible for a person to intellectually affirm all All of those facts without ever truly being saved. Look in Romans 10, 9. Notice what it does not say. It does not say if you believe with your head, God raised him from the dead. It says if you believe with your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this formative kind of faith, again, they're beginning to believe with their heart, but there's no personal confession, right? There's no public confession of Christ. And so what this false faith, what we have with that, and I would submit that most people's names that are on the rolls of churches have false faith. What we have with false faith is we have a confession with the mouth. Yes, Jesus is my Lord, but there's no heart change. There's no life change. Friend, please hear what I'm saying. If you think that you can recite some incantation called a sinner's prayer and not surrender your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you are sadly mistaken, and one day you'll be deadly mistaken. What we have with formative faith is, well, my head's starting to believe, right? My my heart is beginning to do the right thing, but my mouth is not confessed. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Salvation is not some Texas two-step. It's not you do step one, then you do step two. No, what we're talking about here is really it's the two sides of the very same coin because when your belief in your heart, when it matures, confession in your mouth will happen. It means this, there is no middle ground. Listen to what Jesus said. This is in Matthew 12, 30. He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. Did you know it's impossible for you to have something in your heart and it not come out of your mouth? It's impossible. It's always impossible going to come out of your mouth. In Matthew 12, further on in verse 34, Jesus says this, out of the abundance or the overflow of a person's heart, their mouth speaks. If you want to know what a person's heart's full of, just hang around them a little bit and listen to what they talk about the most. A person who talks about their job the most, their heart's full of their job. 
A person who talks about their football team the most, their heart's full of their football team. A person who talks about their hobby the most or their kid's hobby the most, please hear me, hobbies are wonderful. Hobbies are great things. I love sports. Man, I love to be around sports. I love baseball and football and basketball. We know soccer's not a sport, but I love the other three. (laughs) All right, I look forward to those emails. And it's not going to bother me. Send them. It's not going to bother me. I love sports, but sports make a terrible God. People who talk most about their grandkids. Can I get a witness? Their hearts are full of their grandkids. Again, we're not talking about bad things. We're talking about great things, but things that make terrible gods. And so the Bible says this, that whatever it is that is filling your heart, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. And that if Jesus is filling your heart and filling your life and living inside of you, he's going to come out of your mouth. You can't help it. You will confess Jesus as Lord. And some of you who have this false faith, what you need to do right now is admit that it's false faith, confess it, turn to true faith, and let Jesus change your heart and life. And some of you that are on the right track and you have this formative faith, man, you need to go on and complete it. You need to go on and you need to say, I confess Jesus is my Lord. But then we have a third form of faith. And it is the full finishing faith. I'm telling you right there, seven F words. Fantastic. (laughs) Full finishing faith. That's when you say with your heart, And that's when you say with your mouth, I believe that Jesus Christ is alive. Listen. And Jesus Christ is alive in me. See, guys, you can intellectually say, I believe the tomb was empty. I believe that he came out of the grave alive. But that's not the same thing as saying, I believe that he's changed my life. I believe that he is in my heart. The whole thing about the Christian life is not believing something in your head. It is about receiving someone into your life and into your heart. Elsewhere, the same guy who wrote Romans wrote the book of Ephesians and he was writing there to the church at Ephesus and listen to what he says about this. It's in Ephesians 3, verses 16 and 17. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he's talking about Christ. I pray that out of Jesus' glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So I need to ask you this question today. We're one-on-one, right? Is Jesus alive in your heart today? Either he is or he isn't. Is he alive in your heart today? Notice the Bible does not say that if you believe that Jesus was crucified, 
you will be saved. Crucifixion was not anything unique. There were, there were hundreds, thousands that were crucified by the Romans. It's not believing in your heart that he was crucified. Notice it doesn't say there, if you believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. I mean, there were countless babies that were born in Bethlehem. That's not what it says. It says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the one single act that validates everything that Jesus said and everything that Jesus did. I promise you, and I don't want to speak on your behalf, I promise you I would not be here today worshiping and celebrating if Jesus Christ were still in the grave. History is littered with the corpses of dead religious leaders. From Muhammad to Confucius to Buddha. Jesus is the only one who came back from the dead and he is alive today. I love the true story. This happened in the 1970s. Okay? I know some of you are like, what? There was a 70s? Yes. In 1971, Nikita Khrushchev, who was the head of the Communist Party, he died. And he had fallen out of favor with many in the Communist Party in Russia. So much to where they didn't even want to bury his body on Russian soil. And so they started asking around all the nations of the world, can we bury Khrushchev in your country? Can we bury Khrushchev in your land? And they were all saying no. They even contacted President Nixon. And Nixon said, no way. You're not burying him in the U.S., and then he reached out and he contacted the nation of Israel. Gold Mayer, who was the prime minister of Israel at the time, who had a wonderful sense of humor, she said, yes. Yes, we will allow you to bury Khrushchev in Israel, but you know what? I must warn you that our nation has the highest resurrection rate of any nation on earth. And the Russians said, no thanks, we're not taking our chances. <laughs> the only individual in the history of the world who died and came back from the dead, I'm not talking about somebody that was resuscitated, I'm not talking about somebody that was revived only to die later, the only person in the history of the world who died and came back alive and is alive forevermore is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can believe that with your head. But if you have not received him into your heart, you've not reached the point of full faith. You can't say that you know you'll go to heaven when you die. The other side of the coin, confession with the mouth. If Christ is truly your Lord, Jesus is truly your Lord, you will confess, I'm not ashamed to say that Jesus is my Lord. I'm not ashamed to say it. And there'll be folks from time to time who will say to me, they'll say, we well, you know, I believe that religion is a private matter. I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. Religion is a relationship with Christ is not.
Notice what it says in verse 11. Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. So there are some ways that you can examine yourself. There are some ways that you can know that you are truly in Christ, right? There are some ways that you can know that you have this, you have this full faith. It is a finished faith. What are they? First of all, you've publicly identified with Jesus. And the first and the best way for you to publicly identify with Jesus Christ is through believers' baptism. Baptism is not a private act. Baptism is a public act. It is an act of obedience and it is an expression. When you are baptized here at Highland Park, we ask you, who is the Lord of your life? And you, with your own mouth, say, Jesus is the Lord of my life. I'm not ashamed. I want the world to know. Baptism does not forgive you of one single sin. Baptism does not some magical, mystical thing. Friend, I'm here to tell you today, if you were baptized and your baptism, you tied it to your salvation, meaning that the reason why you were baptized is so that your sins might be forgiven, you have a faulty understanding of baptism. It is believer's baptism. It's the first act of obedience that I do. The Bible says it is that profession, that confession. Jesus is my Lord and I'm not ashamed. And the Bible commands Christians to be baptized. Have you done that? It's just a matter of obedience. If the Bible says that we were to be baptized a thousand times, you'd be looking at a waterlogged preacher this morning. I wouldn't be baptized 999 times. I would be baptized a thousand times, but the Bible does not say that. The Bible says that baptism, believer's baptism, it is just once. Some of you who put your faith in baptism, you are, water is dripping off of you. You've been dunked so many times. Baptism is just like any other hobby that we've mentioned, any other thing that might be competing for the lordship of your life. Baptism makes a terrible God. I don't put my faith in baptism. Baptism is merely me unashamedly professing, I have put my faith in faith alone in Jesus as Lord. I belong to him. It's called believer's baptism because I have a relationship with him. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe uh, somebody else made the decision for you to be baptized. Maybe your parents baptized you when you were a child and maybe they were doing that out of good intentions because that's what they were taught. That's what they believed, that they were almost going to dedicate you to the Lord and they were going to baptize you. Friend, listen to me. Nobody else can make a decision for you to follow through in believer's baptism. Is it a decision that only you can make? And it occurs after I've entered into this relationship with Jesus Christ. But it is a public identification to Christ. And it's your way too. Have you done that? If not, you need to. You need to. But then there's another way. And that is to get involved with a local church. 
That's how you publicly identify with Jesus. Now, I'm amazed by folks who say this. They say, oh, I am a Christian. I'm telling you, there's not a bigger Christian than me. And I really, really, really like Jesus. I just don't like the church. You don't have that option. If he's Lord, you love the church because Jesus loves the church. The church is the very body of Christ. It is the physical bride of Jesus Christ in the world today. You say, well, here's the problem. I'm looking for the perfect church. If you ever find the perfect church, don't you dare join it because you'll make it imperfect. I guarantee you Highland Park Baptist Church is not a perfect church. It's a healthy church. It's not a perfect church. Doesn't have a perfect pastor. Doesn't have a perfect staff. Doesn't have perfect deacons. But I guarantee you we got a perfect head and his name is Jesus Christ. And we're the bride of Christ, right? He's getting us ready. Ready for what? Ready for him to take him. Take us to himself. The Bible says this right now about the church. We've got a few blemishes. I'm looking at a few today. Hold the mirror up to myself. We've got a few spots. But Jesus one day will present us to himself without blemish and without spot. But right now, every church has a few spots and blemishes. If you love Jesus, you'll identify with the church. And there's a terrible tragedy that has happened, but I don't know if it's a great culling or a great weeding out. I really don't know. It's been disappointing to this pastor, people that I thought genuinely loved the Lord and genuinely loved the church. And I can't tell you the number of conversations that I've had since COVID. And here's what they've said. Well, we just got out of the habit. The habit of what? Of going to church. Well, I noticed you didn't get out of the habit of going to Walmart or the grocery store. That's where we're talking. Well, I had a bad experience. Well, I've had a bad experience at places as well. Doesn't mean I quit going there. Hey, this may not be the church for you. There are 100 churches within a 10-mile radius. If you're like, man, I'm just not being, I'm not growing in my faith here. I don't identify with anybody here. I don't even like this place. Then maybe try out one of those other 100 churches within a 10-mile radius. Some of them preach the gospel the way that we do. There are some good churches with some good pastors out there. If you're like, I've tried them all, the problem's not the church. Hmm, may just be you. I publicly identify with Jesus. Secondly, I passionately surrender my life to the rule of Jesus. And this is where a lot of people get it wrong, right? This is where a lot of people fall because there are still some today who will say this, I want to maintain control of my life. Maybe you're one of those people today that sat there and you're like, well, you know, I've kind of done what I've, I've done, you know, and I, I, I prayed that prayer and I, I walked down the aisle and I was baptized because I want to make sure that I don't die and go to hell, but I still want to be in control of my life. You don't have that option. That, that's that false faith. No, 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 no. This fully finished faith, passionately, I surrender to Jesus Christ. When he is Lord of your life, you surrender full control of your life over to him. 
I'll explain it this way. Did, did you hear the joke about the airplane that landed out at the airport the other day? It was a really bumpy landing, and it was hopping all over the place, and finally it kind of settled out. It came to a stop. The pilot turned to the co-pilot, and he said, man, that's the roughest landing that you've ever made. The co-pilot turned to the pilot and said, me landing? I thought you were the one landing the plane. <laughs> I know we've got a lot of pilots in our church, but here's what I've been told. I've been told that when there are two pilots in the cockpit, and the pilot is getting ready to surrender control of the aircraft to the co-pilot, he'll say, you take the plane. And the co-pilot will respond in like terms, I've got the plane. I've got control. Likewise, when they turn on autopilot, which many of our pilots say that's kind of what they use most of the time, that that little box that records everything, they have to say, autopilot on. There's a recording of them saying that. Likewise, autopilot off. And so basically what it is doing there is whoever is controlling the aircraft is acknowledging their control. Can I just tell you what you ought to do if you have not done it yet? You ought to say to Jesus, Jesus, you got my marriage? Not my marriage, Jesus. It's your marriage. You control it. You be Lord of my marriage. And Jesus will say, check, I got it. I got control of your marriage. Jesus, do you have my job? Check, I got your job. Jesus, what about my finances? Do you have my finances? I'll be the Lord of your finances. Check, I got it. Jesus, my thought life. Have you got my thought life? Check, I got it. What about my hobby life? What about my kids' hobby life? Jesus, do you have that? Jesus, do you have all my life? And here's what he'll say if he is Lord. I got it. I'm Lord. It's mine. Hear me. You can't hold anything back. You can't sit there and say, Lord, I want to keep this little area. Lord, I want to have this little habit. Lord, I want to keep this little secret sin, right? I want to keep this little thought life. I want to keep this for myself. No, not if he's Lord. You surrender it all to him. Have you done that? Have you publicly identified with Jesus? Do you have a passion about you? I've surrendered my life to the rule of Jesus. And then there's a third way. I purposefully dedicate my life to pleasing Jesus. I want to ask you this today. Personal question. What's the goal of your life? Answer that to yourself. What is the goal of your life? Some folks would say, well, the goal of my life is to save enough money so I can retire. Let me just say, unless you've done that, it ain't looking good. Is that it? Is that your goal? Some of you say, well, my, my goal is to raise these kids and Maybe they make it good enough, and maybe I can retire on what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a terrible, terrible way to view the future. What is your goal in life? 
If your goal in life is to please Jesus, not only will your life be satisfied, but you will receive an amazing reward. Is that your goal? I want to please Jesus with everything about me, everything that is in my life. I want him to get great, great glory. I sat beside the bed of many people who were dying. They knew they were dying. We've had some great conversations. And yet I've yet to have the very first one say this, you know what, I wish I'd spent more time at work. I've not had one single one of them say this, you know what, I, I, wish, I wish I'd made more money. I wish I'd kept more stuff so I could give it to my kids. They're just going to fight over it. But can I tell you how the conversation usually goes? It goes this way. I wish I'd prayed more. I, I, I wish I'd served more. I wish I'd given more. Usually the conversation goes like this. I wish I'd spent more time with those that I love. Friend, listen to me. If, you're, if your goal is to climb the ladder of success, you are setting yourself up for a great letdown. What will happen is you sit there and you spend all your life trying to climb that ladder of success, only get to the top of the ladder and realize you leaned it against the wrong wall. Without fail, that happens. But if you make pleasing Jesus the goal of your life, you'll never be disappointed in the end. Ever. What does it mean to say that Jesus is Lord? Well, it can mean different things to different people. I'll tell you what, to the Romans, it meant something pretty powerful. These are the folks that Paul's writing to here. You see, the Romans, the church of Rome, they, they were actually Christians, were being persecuted by the thousands. And folks are like, well, why did the Romans persecute Christians? Is it because they hated the Christians? Is it because they were just barbaric, mean people? Well, probably all those, but that's not why. They would take the Christians, they would take the Christians, they would throw them into an arena, and then they would applaud as the lions tore the Christians limb from limb. They would take Christians, they would tie them to stakes, and then they would set them on fire and watch them burn alive. The Romans would take Christians, you've heard me say this, they would put them in leather bags with poisonous snakes and then throw the bags into the river. They murdered Christians. Why? An interesting thing that happened if you were in Rome. You were living in Rome. A subject of Rome. Every single year you had to make a statement. You had to make a confession. You'd take a little bit of, uh, of incense, not much, just a little cap full of incense, and you would burn it, and you would say this, Kaiser es curios, which means Caesar is Lord. 
If you said that, then you got to have a job. If you said that, then you were able to provide for your family. You could get goods. If you said that, then everything would be okay. One time a year, you had to do it right. You'd light that little incense, and you would say, Caesar is Lord. And then the Christians came along. And the Christians said, no, there can't be two lords. There's only one Lord. And that's Jesus. And so they would sit there and they would say, all right, you say it. You say it. Caesar is Lord. And instead of saying that, they would say, Jesus est curios. Jesus is Lord. And they would say, we're going to give you one more chance. Say it. Caesar is Lord. And they would say, no, Jesus is Lord. And they accused him of treason. And they killed him by the thousands. My friend, I want to ask you today, are you willing to say with your lips and are you willing to say with your lifestyle, Jesus is Lord, whatever the cost. That's what it means. That's what true faith really is. Full finishing faith. Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of all. And so I want to ask you one more time. Have you come to the point in your life where without a shadow of a doubt, you know when you die, you'll have eternal life and you'll go to heaven? You can say, yes. You can say, I don't know. Or you can say, no. That's it. But let me ask you this. What makes you think you would? And if it's not because Jesus has changed your heart and he's so filled you that it's come out of your mouth, then you've got a faith. But it's really going to be disappointing to you when you stand before him and he says, I didn't know you. I didn't know you. Could I ask you to bow your heads with me today? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Pastor, you make me feel very uncomfortable by saying what you've said. Friend, listen to me. I can't convict a soul. Not a one of you in this room I can bring conviction on. The Holy Spirit of God can. Pastor, you're causing me to doubt. I'm telling you, friend, if I could cause you to doubt, then you need to have a conversation. I'm just saying the Bible makes it very clear what salvation is. Jesus is alive inside of you. You've confessed He is my Lord. Jesus. The good news is no matter where you find yourself today, He'll save you. Today, he can become Lord. For those of you that are in that formative stage, you know, like, hey, I've been, I've been listening to what's been said. I've been talking to some of my friends, and, boy, I'm really, really, I'm really thinking about this. I, I'm, I'm really trusting in this. How about you go ahead today and just take that final step? From time to time, I'll have folks that'll say this to me, and it's the natural next thing to say. They say, well, I've just got a few more questions, and when those can be answered, then I'll trust I'll trust in him. 
Friend, please hear me. There is no way that you or I in this limited human brain and body and flesh can figure out the unlimited, infinite God. That's what faith is. I trust in you, even though I don't know it all. And I've been doing this and studying this book for quite some time, and it seems as though I was having a conversation with a brother the other day. And here's what we both said. seems as though the more we study this book, the more quick we're to say, you know, I just don't know. It's all about Jesus. It is. It's all about him. Is he alive in you? And there are others of you here that you're like, I've been playing a game. I just came to church today because my parents said that's where I'm supposed to go. Or my spouse said, hey, we're going down there. I just, it's kind of what we do. We do church on Sunday. You talk a good game, you lay your head on your pillow at night, and the reality is, you don't know Jesus. You don't have a relationship with him. You've put your faith in a prayer, or you put your faith in a deed. No. It's Jesus alive in you. Today, today, how about you just say, Jesus, I've been a fraud. And today I surrender control of my life to you. Oh God, I thank you for the truth and the power of the gospel. I don't believe there's a single person listening to my voice today. Whether in this room or outside of this room on television, the internet, wherever it may be. That are happening to listen by chance. I believe that you are such a loving heavenly father. That you give us another opportunity to receive Jesus as Lord. And Father, the prayer is that today your spirit would roam freely, that he would really reveal to us what what our hearts are like. And that Lord Jesus, the prayer that we have today is that not one single person would walk out of this room, not one single person would turn that TV off without being able to say today, Jesus is my Lord. Oh God, we pray for the miracle of salvation that only you can bring. May you strip back all the things that have blinded us to what it means to be in you. And may you do this for your glory and your name. For it's in the name of our Lord Jesus that we pray. Amen. Hey guys, this is Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today, Unchangeable Truth. This is a ministry of Highland Park Baptist Church in Panama City, Florida. We would love for you to visit us if you ever find yourself in the Panama City area. Our address is 2611 Highway 231 North. You can also learn more about our church and its ministry by going to our website, www. Dot Highland and it's H I L A N D Park.org. There you'll learn more about what we believe, what we teach, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. There'll also be a sermon archive there so you can go 
and listen to various sermons over the last several years. As always, we would love to talk to you about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So feel free, shoot us an email, info at highlandpark.org. If you'd like to learn more about Jesus and what it means to follow him, our prayers are that you would draw near to Christ, that this podcast would be used to point you to Jesus and to help your faith grow and your walk increase. God bless you guys. Thank you for listening.